Welcome to the Demystifying Diversity podcast, where every week we explore topics related to diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'm Dara Lise Lyons, and I'm speaking to you today from the stolen Lenape lands known as Philadelphia, utilizing the colonized space of the internet. Today will be the third installment in an ongoing conversation about blackness in America. In the prior two episodes, we spoke about slavery, segregation, and the enduring struggles facing many Black Americans today, struggles that can be traced back to systems of white supremacy. Today, we're celebrating Black beauty, music, storytelling, culture, and entrepreneurship. There is so much joy and cultural resilience that is lost when we only share stories of sadness and struggle. And before you think that this is a linear story, I want to dispel that myth from the outset. Black American success is rooted in the past as well as the present. One of my favorite courses in college centered on the rich cultural and ancestral histories of the African diaspora, with its diverse experiences, spiritual practices, systems of belief, music, and language. One of many shameful effects of colonization has been the perpetuation of the misconception that African-American history begins in America, when really there were thoughts, practices, and systems that originated in Africa that continue to shape culture, language, traditions, and spirituality. And for some of those I spoke to for this episode, it was their grounding in their African heritage that gave them a sense of who they are today. My first name, Kwaisi, is an African name. That means conquering sons of kings. Now, that doesn't refer to conquering in terms of conquering the land and resources of others. That refers to conquering the internal demons and external demons that would seek to destroy me. Asar, my surname, is a Black ancient Egyptian name. Asar was considered a spiritual faculty. He was the unifier and the harmonizer of both the internal and external forces on heaven and in earth. That was Kwaisi Asar, author of No Sir, How to Break the Chains that Bind Your Spirit. Kwaisi is an expert in workplace spirituality and other topics related to human dynamics in organizations, and he's focused on empowering individuals to transcend undesirable, dysfunctional, and harmful conditioning by cultivating their spiritual competency. Kwaisi told me that honoring ancient cultural practices has been essential to his own sense of self-actualization and expression. Likewise, master drummer and percussionist Baba Doc, who passed since we conducted our interview and whose passing was a tremendous loss, told me that embracing his heritage specifically through African drum culture has supported him as a person as well as a performer. Baba Doc told me that his name, which means father healer, is directly linked to who he is and where he comes from. Baba means father in a lot of different cultures. And so I'm going to back up a bit because when I first got in the music business, I did two records with Thad Jones, Mel Lewis, Big Band. And I'm listed on both of those records as Leonard Gibbs. I hadn't got my doc yet. That came a few years later when I sat in with Grover Washington Jr., 
and he liked the way I played. And so I was doing a gig with George Benson at Carnegie Hall and Grover was the special guest artist. And so I met Grover and I said, man, I really like what you're doing. He said, if I get a chance, I'm going to hire you. Well, I had heard that a few times and I was like, yeah, right, sure. You know, so I'm going to keep moving because one time I had somebody tell me, I'm going to hire you. I love the way you play. I'm going to hire, but I'm going back home to L.A. and I'll get back to you. And I hung on that and I was like, he's going to call me and he didn't call. So when Grover told me, uh, you know, things change up, I'm going to call you. So that was in April. August, he called me and he said, I'm going out for a weekend in September. And if you'd like to go with us, you're, you're more than welcome. So I said, yeah, I'll do that. So that started me with Grover. And we're going to three different cities in the States. And after those three dates, he said, um, how'd you like the gig? I said, man, it was beautiful, man. He said, well, if you want it, it's your gig. And I was like, you mean whenever you work, I'm working? He said, yeah, you're in the band. I was like, man. And so that's how I got the gig with Grover. And then about maybe a year later, we did a, a live album called Live at the Bijou. And on that record, he introduces me as Doc Gibbs. He says, there's two doctors in Philly, Dr. J, the basketball player who was very famous at that time, and Dr. Gibbs. And so that's when people started calling me Doc. And I got that name because we were recording at the live record at the Bijou, and Grover was real sick. He had a bad cold. And so that night, I'm in the health and healing and natural herbs, you know, eating correctly. So I said, man, I'm gonna mix you up some herbs and you take these and I think it'll make you feel better. And the next day he felt better. And so that was, that night was when he introduced me as Dr. Gibbs. So that name, Doc Gibbs, has stuck ever since. In a prior episode, you'll have heard Baba Doc speak about the power of African drum culture. He shared that the power goes beyond history and is rooted in healing. He sees it as a salve on the soul. So I've always felt whenever I play, I'm healing. Whether I'm playing with one other guy and we're playing together, we're healing each other, or I'm playing for a big audience. Now we're healing all the people in the audience. And we're healing ourselves. This sense that music can be healing, whether on stage at Carnegie Hall or in a one-on-one Zoom session, is directly linked to Baba Doc's learning of his African history and heritage. I was crowned in 84. So mm-hmm. I've been involved in the Yoruba religion and culture and understanding that. And the Yoruba culture incorporates these forces of nature that surround us. And it's very similar to Native Americans, Indians from the East, cultures that acknowledge and embrace nature, cultures that embrace the trees, the butterflies, the birds, cultures that embrace love. And we got to get back to that. This world and this country that we live in, it's got some serious problems, especially this country, because this country still lives a lie that it won't admit, and it keeps getting worse. I, I don't know when this thing gonna get any better. I don't think I'll see it, but my thing is, we gotta counteract that energy, that other energy, that energy of hate, that energy of separation, that energy of 
supreme, <laughs> that energy of uh, privilege. We got to knock all that down. And the only way to counteract that is with love. And the only way to receive the love is through the healing that you get. What will it take for us to fight it? To realize that we all are one. Make unity and inner peace the only reason. Cause we need better, need so much better. We deserve better. Red, white, and blue. For Brittany Monet, R&B, pop, and soul singer whose song Better has been our season two podcast theme, music can be a creative or a destructive force. Brittany sees it as part of her responsibility to inspire heightened social consciousness through her songs. One thing that people don't realize about music is it directly affects the way that we're thinking by impacting our subconscious. You listen to a song 20 times because you like the beat or you like the artist or you like whatever the case is, but what you're not realizing or what you may realize is that whatever that artist is saying, that's beating on the back of your subconscious mind. And so one area of opportunity that I see specifically in like popular black culture, not not across the board, but you know, in a lot of the music that you might hear on the radio is that there's negative messages that are constantly being reinforced through music. And there are certain ideologies that were put in place to keep certain groups of people in a certain place in their lives. And music and certain culture just continues to reinforce that. So not only are we saying it, we're singing it out loud, and we're bringing that to our universe by, you know, putting that energy out. But we're also, because we hear it so much, we start to believe that as fact because that's affecting our subconscious. So if I'm looking at myself as an artist, And I have what I feel like is a very powerful tool, which is music, because not only do I have the ability as an artist to say things or sing about things that can have a positive effect on somebody's subconscious, I can not only just do it with people who look like me and have experienced what I've experienced, but I can connect with somebody who might not be dealing with the same exact thing that I'm dealing with, but something about the music or the intention is received by the subconscious then that has the ability to make significant change in our world. Also, because I truly believe that it has the power to heal. So for me as a musician, I personally have a responsibility since I know or feel like I know that it does have healing power. I feel like it's my responsibility to use it accordingly. William Tyrone Toms, the co-founder and chief creative officer of RecPhilly, a multi-million dollar creative hub and incubator based in Philadelphia, who was recently named one of Forbes 30 Under 30, began his career in the music industry. Will shared with me that he sees a huge vehicle for Black success and for the amplification of Black voices to be artistry and talent and culture. Unfortunately, in American society, we've really bastardized culture. 
I think the greater society and the system specifically didn't know how to value culture. But when I think about Black culture specifically, I subscribe to hip hop culture, entrepreneurial startup culture, I subscribe to. All of those things really get to uphold culture as the X factor for value and growth in a way that traditional business does not represent. And I just know that because we have the internet now, because we have connection to people the way we do, we can finally start to quantify the value of that culture, which I believe is the first step to then capture the value. So yeah, I, I do believe it. It's, it's the vehicle for us, for sure. It's the vehicle that changed my life. So I can't evangelize enough how other <laughs> folks can and, and should, if they care to, be able to use it as a vehicle for, for change for themselves as well. Part of the reason why culture is such a powerful catalyst is that it tells a story. Culture is a mode of communication and increasing representation through stories that center Black voices, whether those stories be in music or literature or poetry or TV or film or even stories on Instagram. They bring people together in ways that can uplift and inspire. We learn through stories as kids, right? And that continues through our lifetimes. It helps us to connect dots. It helps us to like experience things kind of inadvertently. It helps us to like literally break down those barriers to create a community. That was Brittany Chung Campbell, an author, a writing coach, and a sensitivity reader who helps coaches, consultants, and entrepreneurs turn their ideas into compelling books with consistent sales. Brittany told me that storytelling has a deeply personal resonance for her and always has. I grew up in a really Jamaican family. And when I say really Jamaican family, I mean like those late nights where your parents stay up at the kitchen table and they're like sipping rum, smashing dominoes on the table. And you can just hear from like down a corridor, my uncle talking about really funny stories <laughs> that like, like hilarious stories. And another thing that we seem to do, especially in my culture, is we tell stories of pain, but make it really funny so that everyone's laughing. And so like storytelling in my family is like a pastime and we make fun of each other and it's our bonding time. And that comes from that deep ancestral foundation of relaying information through these different aspects of telling a story because there was a time where we weren't allowed to read or write. And so how are we going to preserve our tradition? There's so much of my history I do not know, but what I do know is from the mouths of my family. And so I keep that really close to me so I can like pass that on and expand on it. Part of how Brittany is currently passing stories on is through her involvement in an oral storytelling community that centers the voices of women of color. I heard her share at an event with Mosaic Untold Lives, secrets and true stories from women of color. And she told a deeply personal narrative about her relationship with her grandmother who passed away. Here's Brittany speaking about what it was like to tell a story about her grandmother in a room full of other women of color. The experience that I felt in that room with the other women and how vulnerable and open everyone was and how safe it felt to be in that space was like, wow, this is something incredible. I wasn't anticipating for that experience to be so cathartic. And it's incredible that I don't have to explain certain terms in my story. Or in my story last night, I said my grandma came from the country with no parents and no shoes. People are like, what country? <laughs> in Jamaica, we just call the hills the country, right? And so people may not pick that up, but I think that's why 
mosaic is so special because there is no editing a story to make it acceptable. You come as you are and people listen and they take what they take from it. And when you're being vulnerable in your stories, that's what really makes connections and builds communities. It kind of does feel like your home. Like you don't have to, you can take off your, your jacket and kind of relax. <laughs> you, know what I mean? you don't have to mask yourself or you don't have to perform. You're just there. Telling real stories that are vulnerable, it transcends any kind of identity barrier, which I think is awesome. Jet Stubbs, who co-created Mosaic Untold Lives, Secrets and True Stories from Women of Color, along with Veronica Antipolo, and who is a career and business coach, as well as the creator of the Happy Career Formula podcast, shared that it's powerful for women, especially to share their stories. We didn't realize the power that we had to give other women of color permission to be themselves, be their authentic selves and own their story. If you're a Toni Morrison fan like me, or you grew up back in the South, you're likely familiar with the phrase, quiet as it's kept, which is both a testament to the shared stories of women of color and an evocation of the ways in which Black women's narratives have been largely suppressed in spaces where it was unsafe for them to speak about their experiences. The more we honor the stories past and present of Black Americans, the more we're undoing the influences of erasure and colonization. And also, the more we dismantle this destructive and incorrect idea that Black stories have to be stories of pain, when actually there is so much to be learned from seeking out more accurate, more authentic sources, sources that we're not always taught about. Here's a short message from our episode sponsors, without whose support the Demystifying Diversity podcast wouldn't be possible. As we've seen more than ever in the last couple of years, health is critical, and a big part of physical, mental, and emotional health is providing our bodies with the nutrients they need, which is why I'm a big fan of supplements. But not just any supplements. I get all my supplements from Vita Supreme. The company's products are amazing, and they're offering Demystifying Diversity podcast listeners 10% off on everything at their online store. In fact, they've put together a special Demystifying Diversity podcast listener page where you can get any or all of my favorite supplements at vitasupreme.com slash pages slash diversity Or you can take a look at their website and purchase any of their many products. When you're ready to check out, just enter the code DIVERSITY to receive your 10% discount. That's vitasupreme.com slash pages slash diversity and enter the code DIVERSITY for 10% off. As you may or may not be aware, Demystifying Diversity podcast partner Zach James is a proud graduate of Temple University's School of Sport, Tourism, and Hospitality Management, STHM. Go Owls! And has experienced firsthand STHM's ongoing support and investment in each individual student. Both last season and this season, as part of their ongoing effort to prioritize diversity, equity, and inclusion in their business practices 
and Strategic Plan, STHM's Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion has provided invaluable support and resources to the Demystifying Diversity podcast. And STHM's Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion is taking an active role in so many other incredible initiatives, from spearheading student-facing DEI programming to faculty education to collaboration with various corporations and organizations. As the sport, tourism, and hospitality industries have become more globalized and integrated than ever before, STHM acknowledges their responsibility to help move these industries forward by minimizing polarization and creating equitable, inclusive, and diverse leaders. To learn more about Temple University's School of Sport, Tourism, and Hospitality Management, visit sthm.temple.edu. That's sthm.temple.edu. Here's Kwaisi again. When I was a small child, my great-grandmother had these books, and she told me, never go in that drawer and touch those books, right? That's the last thing you tell yeah, <laughs> eight year old, right? Because I got a mission now, right? I'm gonna. What mm-hmm. is it that you're trying to keep from me? So I go into the drawer, I start reading the books, and the books are about voodoo, which is a West African spiritual practice that's kind of been demonized as voodoo by Western society. But as I begin to to engage in reading and and actually practicing, not knowing what I was doing, I realized much later in life that. That was the beginning of sort of my, my process of spiritual cultivation. And here's Channing Gerard Joseph. I discovered a book called uh, Gay American History by Jonathan Ned Katz. It's written in 1976, and it's a collection of primary source documents relating to queer histories. It could have been nice for me to learn about that in school, but anyway, it didn't happen. When I realized that somebody had been able to do that, and Jonathan and I are, have since become great friends, but when I realized somebody was able to do that, I realized that maybe that was something that I wanted to do also. (laughs) And within that, focusing on the African-American experience, it's been an effort to really discover and explore archives and documents and sources that very few, if anybody, has looked at seriously or looked at in a scholarly way or looked at in a way that tries to connect the dots between different events. Channing teaches at the University of Southern California's Annenberg School for Communication and Journalism and is an award-winning journalist and writer whose byline has appeared around the globe. He is also the author of the forthcoming biography, House of Swan, Where Slaves Became Queens. And he's a proud descendant of the enslaved people who built America and gave it soul. Channing has found inspiration through self-education about Black and queer history and the ways in which his present has been shaped by the past. And he's worked to bring stories forward that haven't often been told and to share these stories with others. As he said to me, that required him looking beyond the stories that were already being told and discovering buried but important history and taking that history seriously. Channing had to go beyond other people's work and to do his own excavation. 
Don Trahan, licensed professional counselor, national certified counselor, approved clinical supervisor professor, international consultant, and global leader in diversity, equity, and inclusion change management, known professionally as Dr. Don, has also found his personal and professional passion by becoming curious about what existed beyond what was available to him as part of a standard system of education and academia. Well, I realized that the textbook training that we had received, it didn't work, not in the same way. And so it, it opened my eyes to understand there has to be more and you need to engage. And so that's what really caused me to want to understand this global environment. And then fast forward to present day, when you think about business, business is not done in a silo anymore. We are not limited to a geographical location. So when you're facing with different people from different cultures, you need to understand how to engage them accordingly. Being able to successfully cultivate ourselves while engaging with others requires us to be attuned to ourselves while also being aware of those around us. I spoke with Daniil Chambers, founder of I Spy Injustice, a budding social movement that helps to combat injustice by creating and maintaining a community of problem solvers, empaths, and thinkers about the process of cultivating awareness. A Black female immigrant who was born in Jamaica, raised in Florida, and who considers her primary identity to be that of problem solver, Daniil shared about the importance of self-reflection. I feel like I'm always like willing to be self-aware and to be able to receive feedback to improve myself because I wanted to be the best person I can be because otherwise, what is the purpose of life? But it's like a process of growth. Some growth is harder than other growth, but it's all necessary. It's all like one path. Hooks, a Haitian-American musician, rapper, and producer, spoke with me about moving from that space of self-reflection outward into an expanded sense of other people's experiences, which he said required two things, education and exposure. People just need to get more educated about others, you know, because it's one world. We live in on the same earth. Don't matter what skin color you are, what background you is. It doesn't matter at this point. So I think racism is ignorance. If you're a person, you educated about certain groups of people. That's why I travel. That's why I tell people travel, get on that plane, get on that boat, go see what, how other people live, go eat their food, go try to see what their life is like. Because when you travel, you take a piece of everybody with you when you go, like DMX, when you leave, You take a piece of all these people with you. You don't take nothing but those great memories. And those memories is what, you know, you're going to have to cherish when we out of here. So I say, man, don't be ignorant about other people because they skin color or whatever lifestyle they live. Just get to know and and that way you can understand who they are. And we all could live peacefully on this nice, beautiful earth. Education can come in a number of different forms. Many of those I talked to shared about how, for them, learning has been about innovation, community, mentorship, and their own entrepreneurial spirits. I went to school, right, communications, minor in economics, did that whole thing, ended up not finishing, right, literally dropped out with nine credits left in my very last semester, story for another day. But I got home and started building my business. 
before I even thought about going back to school, I had an incredible opportunity where I was approached and recruited to work for a marketing agency here in Philly. Based off my entrepreneurial endeavors, me building my production company, essentially they were like, they scouted me and was like, yo, you're doing all this. Like you, we want to bring you on we have clients, yada, yada. So that was an opportunity. And I got to work there for a couple of years. I walked into an incredible client roster. I was working for Eminem and Shady Records and Ice Cube, right? These huge entertainment brands. And I was being taught digital strategy at a high level. And the whole time they knew that I was full-time there, but also building the thing that impressed them enough to bring me in. So there was a moment where we went to South by Southwest for the first time, which is a huge convention of really the future of ideas around art, film, music, et cetera. And I had thrown a a show. It was the first official Philadelphia music showcase, right? And at the time, I'm like, I don't know, 23, right? 24-year-old kid, right? And we do this thing. We take a couple hundred people from Philly to Austin, Texas. And I remember getting back and the HR team kind of calls me into the office and they're like, hey, we saw all this stuff you did at South By. It was really great. But, you know, we really would love for you to be able to do those kind of things on our behalf. And, you know, we want to give you this new client and Tayo Cruz and like yada, yada, yada. And I was like, well, that's all well and good. But like, I'm kind of good with the workload, at, right? Because to me, I know in my mind, I'm working there eight to five. And then at home, it's six to like 2 a.m. doing my own thing. But no, no, no boss or entrepreneur ever wants to hear an employee say that they're not willing to, to be promoted. But that was the first big decision I had to make. And it was, hey, I have this incredible job. There's a clear growth path here where I could be working my way up to make six figures and doing this thing and working with incredible brands. Or I can take the leap of faith, invest in myself and build the thing that I know is going to be more impactful to the people I care about directly. Making millionaires more millions was not as exciting for me as teaching a close friend how to go from zero to 60,000 a year doing what they love. So that was one of the easiest decisions I ever had to make, albeit a challenging one. But it was like, at the end of the day, like, I believe in this thing. So I put in my two weeks and and that was the end of (laughs) being a salary employee (laughs) for me. And that was over six years ago. I've been a full-time entrepreneur ever since. Will has never once regretted his decision to do what he loves and to serve the community that he loves. But that has required him saying no to corporate America and yes to taking complete ownership of both himself and his brand. So for me, I had to really get comfortable saying, nope, this is what I stand for here, my people. That's it. And that's really what started to open up the biggest opportunities for me, being willing to just kind of stand in my power and make those tough decisions. There's something special about just being fully in alignment with your purpose and all the things that I thought were the way to play the political game and the way to navigate and all that stuff were really just distractions, you know, staying in the alignment. And for me, as the more courage I've built around standing in my fullness and in my present, I've almost become more of a magnet for the opportunities that really are truly for me and for our people. Yeah, I've seen it and I feel it. And, uh, I'll be honest, it feels amazing. (laughs) Likewise, Latoya C. Smith, my literary agent and an editor who left a traditional publishing house to build her own business, has felt a level of autonomy and empowerment as a Black entrepreneur that she didn't feel while working for someone else. I think the biggest positive is that your hard work determines your payoff. And I feel like although, you know, working for myself has probably been one of the hardest things I've ever done, it is the most rewarding because when I work hard, 
I get that in the money. I get that in the recognition. Now, the only thing is, obviously, you don't have someone patting you on the back. Like, you have to kind of pat yourself on the back. But for the most part, it's the validation is in the numbers, in the deals, in the paychecks. But I will say, you have to have the right skin for this because it is hard. Sometimes there is no nine to five, like you have to get it done, no matter what that looks like within the work week, everything is on your back. So there is no PTO, there's no like set paycheck. But at the same time, I would say I'm much happier. I can work on any project I want, which is another huge difference. I'm not like having to answer to anyone, which is kind of nice. So I find that it's not as limiting. I can make a difference in different ways. Like I feel like I can do more on my own than I could in-house. Freedom, choice, empowerment, and autonomy are precious to most of us. And it's important to celebrate Black Americans who are experiencing success in these areas because it gives something to strive for. And also, representation is essential for those who might not know how to get from where they are to where others are, especially if those other voices aren't always being amplified. It's easy to see where people are, but not where they've been. And so I think that's one thing that people look at, oh, you're so lucky because, you know, you're an entrepreneur before COVID, you know, you get to work from home and you make your own schedule, but I busted my ass. There was a lot of closed doors. There was a lot of missed opportunities, a lot of tears, a lot of anxiety, a lot of therapy that got me here. Like it was not a, oh, I always wanted to do this and it just happened. Like it was hard work. So, you know, I think for any path that is worth taking, like it's going to be hard work and you just can't give up. I do believe there's a lot of truth in the idea of you can't be what you can't see. So I do think the representation first comes in where it's like, okay, I do see someone that I I see myself in finding a level of success that I appreciate. And then I do believe that also success leaves clues. Really comes down to this almost like mastermind mentality that we've built within our community. So when you think about some of the programming that we do, every month we're bringing tons of industry experts in to speak and share back to our community. And most times it's not a Jay-Z talking to our community. It's the person who, you know, is making a hundred thousand dollars doing exactly what they like to do. And they're sharing their how both in like the tactics and strategies, but also the anecdotes that help people really understand, you know, where they're at. And I think there's something powerful about that because sometimes when we see the people that are too far removed from where we are, we think that, oh, okay, there's too much gap there. And then we start to tell ourselves these stories of why it can't be us. But when you see someone who was potentially literally a rec member sitting in your seat a year and a half ago, and they've been able to get those big brand deals, they've been able to do you know the special things, there's just such an empowering feeling and emotion that I think you get. There is most definitely an empowering feeling that comes from being authentically who we are and putting ourselves out there to do the things that light us up. Because the principles for finding what you love to do and selling yourself are the same. It's just that you're doing it on different platforms. Whether you're using a sales page or a resume, it's the same principles to make it effective, but we're not taught these principles. Jet's right. So many Black people in America who have quote-unquote made it are either the first or second generation to find a level of financial and educational achievement that allows them to leverage their success for future generations and to build wealth for those coming up behind them. 
This is part of why models of success that emphasize individuality aren't always as effective, especially within minority communities, as community-based and or collaborative initiatives. Hi, Zach James here, partner and marketing manager of the Demystifying Diversity podcast. And I wanted to share with you, our valued listeners, some of the awesome things we're doing in the DEI space. Myself, Darylise, and the whole Demystifying Diversity team are facilitating corporate trainings, constructive conversations, workshops, one-on-one coaching sessions, and so much more. To find out how you can work with us, whether you're an individual or representing a corporation, school, or any other organization, head over to DemystifyingDiversityPodcast.com backslash services to fill out our DEI survey. Darylise is a DEI subject matter expert, having interviewed over 200 people, having become a TEDx speaker, as well as the author of Demystifying Diversity, Embracing Our Shared Humanity. Together, we can help you up-level your DEI skills to improve your profitability, productivity, and interpersonal relationships. So, connect with us at DemystifyingDiversityPodcast.com backslash services and get yourself a copy of Darylise's book, Demystifying Diversity, Embracing Our Shared Humanity. And uh, don't forget, buy the workbook too. Happy learning. Will shared the Rec Philly slogan with me, as well as the reasoning behind it. Our slogan is, independent doesn't mean alone. Because we all know, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. And sometimes part of following the clues of success and going far together requires investing in ourselves through things like coaching, therapy, and personal development, which is why Jet Stubbs, a business coach herself, hired her own coach. I eventually, maybe a year or two ago, hired my own business coach who's a few steps ahead of me. Having inspiration as well as a roadmap can be invaluable. And those I spoke with talked about how their success required an inner drive coupled with models of and mentors for success, as well as the support of other people. But several of those I interviewed described even on the path of success needing to do inner work to be able to get from where they were to where they want to be and to dismantle their own internalized systems of oppression. I'll let Will Toms describe how he moved beyond his internal obstacles. I think if I had to just like put language to the general concept was it was doing the shadow work. It's building a relationship and and, and a respect for the aspects of myself that I knew I wasn't honoring and um, the things that maybe even I was avoiding. Asking myself the questions of like, what is it I'm avoiding feeling? Like even noticing like when I procrastinate. What are the things that I'm procrastinating on most? And what is that trying to tell me? Like really just asking those hard, inquisitive questions and then also getting to the root of where those things came from, right? Like, where did I learn that? When did I first learn that the best way to navigate was to be disarming to folks around me and and focus on making them comfortable, right? Like all of those little things. And as I did that work, I did that and also indulged in a lot of like traditional leadership training. You know, and understanding that leadership is not just this thing you're born with or not alone, but it's a skill like any other that can be nurtured and that can be groomed. So participating in leadership training, but mostly the emotional intelligence work that allowed me to kind of trace things to the root and not treat the symptoms, but actually treat the root causes. 
Dr. Don Trahan has done a lot of emotional intelligence work and, in fact, has numerous degrees that signal his aptitude and his experience in these areas. And he shared with me that he's found it essential to honor his emotions while also not allowing them to overtake him. He said there's a level of pragmatism that allows him to show up in the business world and excel. I'm not exempt from having the type of experiences that other people have, I just realized I don't want to get caught up in my own personal feelings and allow that to deter me from the opportunity to actually do something about the situation to pay it forward in the context of the business, which then allows you to get things done in a different way. And Darlise, I'll share with you, that does not come with open arms all the time. I want to be transparent about that. There are so often when I'm working with organizations that certain populations in the organization may misunderstand why I'm not responding in a way that perhaps they would have expected me to respond because of the complexion of my skin. He also told me that his clinical training has given him the ability to both have his own experiences and see the larger picture at the same time. If you think about being the practitioner as looking over a balcony at what's happening, and as I'm looking over the balcony, I can see everything that's taking place. And my job is also to be able to be on the ground, have boots on the ground, so that as I'm looking over the balcony, I'm also seeing myself on the floor or whatever the space may be that we are accompanying to understand what is exactly taking place in this situation. That then allows me to go back to the clinical side to understand what's needed in this moment to be proactive. It would be an incomplete picture to present a two-dimensional image of Black success, joy, and resilience, or any success, joy, and resilience. Human life is multi-layered, multi-emotional, multi-dimensional, Every success has its underlying struggles, and every struggle contains the potentiality for something beyond the current moment. And oftentimes, the differentiating factor between stuckness and survival is the love and support of others. Here is Channing Gerard Joseph again. How to sum up a life struggle, right? I'm grateful to have been lovingly raised and cared for and taught to be the person I am by my grandmother, Juliette Torregano Joseph, who um, passed away in the fall of last year. And she had a lot of struggles in raising me from basically from the moment I came from the hospital. My mother had just turned 17 when she gave birth to me. So it was grandmother that was really in charge. My, my father was not around, and I grew up in Louisiana in a town called Slidell, which is near New Orleans. It was not the most open-minded or progressive place. Still isn't. <laughs> so to be a little nerdy, obviously queer, weirdo kid in South Louisiana who talks kind of like white people... <laughs> and wants to be the mom when we play house and kisses boys on the mouth and those kinds of things and always raises his hand to answer the questions in class, annoying everyone. I'm not painting a bleak picture, I hope, but 
there were some struggles there. And then, you know, as an adult, I've had some been pretty public about you know having kidney disease and being a kidney transplant survivor. My mother's brother, my uncle donated a kidney for me, which I'm eternally grateful for. And it's allowed me to start over in life and to be materially productive in a way, but also with a new attitude of needing to focus on different kinds of things than I think I was focused on before. And living a life with more pizzazz, more creativity, more individuality. Like Channing, LaToya described herself growing up as weird and as being supported by others in following her passion and her purpose. She credits the inspiration of others as well as her own inner drive with her business success. As a kid, I loved books. I was the weirdo that liked jazz music and didn't watch. I couldn't tell you what was on the latest episode of so-and-so, but I always loved to read. And I was probably reading things I shouldn't have been reading at 16 or 17 years old. And so little did I know some of my favorite authors I would have had the chance to work with, all because I had great people in my corner. I was very determined. And once I got my foot in the door, I just jumped all the way through. I think, you know, the fact that I was a voracious reader, like I read things literally like overnight. And one of those books overnight was True to the Game by Terry Woods. She just happened to be on the radio, like talking about this is when Wendy Williams had her radio show and she was kind of talking about how overwhelmed she was and needed an assistant. And my cousin happened to be listening to this interview and was like, oh my God, you should call her. And I was like, what? Call her? Like, no, you know, I'm in college. I don't even live in New York right now. I'm like, in Philly back and forth. And she was like, just do it. And I did it. And here I am now, almost 20 years later, 2002 was when I first started working with Terry. So I would just say it's something that you love and are passionate about. Also having the right circle around you is super important because if you have people that are okay with going nowhere, more than likely you will go nowhere. So you have to have people that see better for you, even if you don't see it. Don Wyatt, John M. McArdle Jr. Distinguished Professor at Middlebury College, who was born and raised in Alton, Ohio, birthplace of James Earl Ray, and stopping place along the route to freedom for many who escaped enslavement via the Underground Railroad, also cited support as a critical factor in his success. You'll recognize Don's voice from earlier episodes this season, as well as from episode three of season one of the Demystifying Diversity podcast. That episode was entitled Asian Studies, an examination of how the model minority myth has contributed to the virus of hate afflicting Asians in America. I think probably the best resource I had growing up, at least were many of the people in my life. And that's still true now. Those people are largely gone. I'm a mama's boy. I I doted on my mother. She's responsible for, well, you know, I should say all, (laughs) but, but a good deal of what I am. I learn daily from my interactions with colleagues and I learn from my students. And it's just been intensely rewarding. In order for our circles of support to be intensely rewarding, they don't always have to be serious. In fact, surrounding ourselves with others who care about us and care about what we care about can be fun and sometimes even frivolous. 
Hi listeners, Zach here. Daryl and I are so grateful you're listening to the Demystifying Diversity podcast. We want to answer your questions about topics related to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And this season, during each of our question and answer episodes, we'll be joined by a special guest expert who can also weigh in on whatever questions you have. So call us at 844-888-8148 and leave us a message with your question or drop us a note through our website at demystifyingdiversitypodcast.com. Who knows, your voice or your question might make it into one of our Q&A episodes. Here's Daniil Chambers again. I feel like what we're truly looking for as human beings is just that connection to like things that we, we love because you see like different groups of people, interest groups, able to like overcome boundaries of even language. Like people that want to communicate with each other that are open to communicating with different people that are open to like learning and like seeing an individual for how they're presenting themselves in that situation. Those are the most beautiful groups. People that like anime that like you'll see like people all over the world watch anime. Even like recently like Bad Bunny, he's connecting people cross language like i love bad bunny i just had to add that in top 0.05 percent of listeners according to spotify (laughs) (laughs) and in the moments when success is hard won or when there's no one around who can show you how to get out of a place of sadness and struggle there is always something whether you conceive of that as an inner essence the interconnectedness of humanity a supreme being or whatever moves your soul and spirit but you see it's the adversity this is the beauty of spirituality in order for me to grow and to get where i'm at today i had to experience all of that it's the adversity that creates the condition that's necessary for me to find the way through it. Because I can't go under it. I can't go around it. I can't go over it. I got to go through it. Now, I'm not saying that I wish I would have experienced that. I'm, I'm just saying that that enabled me to grow even beyond and to find out things about myself even beyond what I had ever thought I could. While religiosity might be part of spirituality, when it comes to social justice, We have to be the source of spirit and to turn to ourselves and to the collective for the change that will bring us towards wholeness and healing. Here's Daniil Chambers again. We try to make change in the world because this is not going to happen from like one magical Messiah coming. We need to like empower ourselves and like acknowledge those things, those identity markers that do cause us like real pain like you know being black is not easy being poor is not easy like those are valid like struggles but what you take from that and what you do to like move forward is what matters and it's just like I want to inspire other people to like take a step and do things that will make the world better because that's the only way that this place is going to change because otherwise we'll all just hold our hands up and wait for Superman that's not gonna come Brittany Monet spoke about how spirituality has enabled her not only to move beyond struggles, but to find the motivation to create music in the hopes that it might inspire others to discover love. She's not looking to convert others to a specific faith, but she does believe we can all believe in and practice love. We all define God differently, and it's totally cool. The way that I look at spirituality is you know, it's your personal experience. So whether you want to call God Allah or Jehovah or God, whether you want to say the universe to me, if you have a practice that centers you and keeps you aligned with the source, then I'm all for it. But for me personally, I look at everything here on earth as an extension of God. 
So with that being said, how can I say that I love God, but I choose to act in anything opposite of love to my neighbor, who's technically then an extension of me based on my belief. And I'm a strong believer that whatever you do, do unto others as you want to do unto yourself. So for that reason, I get more fulfillment in dealing with people. I'm received a lot better when I deal with people. doesn't mean that I don't get angry or I don't have my human moments or anything like that because let me tell you, I surely do. I am flawed, but my choice is to act in love because I believe that is the religion, if any, that we need to practice, period. That is the only thing that will unify us. That's the only thing that will make change. And, of course, there's systemic things that need to change, but I feel like the only way to eradicate hate is to overdose it in love. Ghetto Don Visionary put this entire concept even more succinctly. We need more love in this world. Sometimes love might look like loving ourselves enough to create music or to pursue a personal or professional passion or even to get the support we need to navigate internal and external barriers. Music is just different for us. Like it's the language, the the expression of clothing, it's different because that's how we're navigating our mental health. So I say all that to say there's one, a beautiful opportunity for our artists in in this beautiful time of renaissance to create the art that has that healing power for folks. And it's only going to come from the folks like you and I that are doing the work ourselves and then can intentionally give that to the folks that maybe are just us two years ago, right? Us three years ago. I do think our consciousness is growing. And I think that folks are starting to overcome some of the stereotypes and stigmas around mental health and folks are seeking help. And I'm even interested to see more Black folks go into the mental health profession. So there's visibility in the representation there. Will and I spoke about moving forward through representation, visibility, culture, and empowerment. Baba Doc shared that he's used his ancestral heritage as a catalyst for honoring and appreciating not only who he is and where he comes from, but for bringing himself and others forward from where they've been to where they want to go. Back in the late 50s and early 60s, there was a a resurgence of African Americans who wanted to be connected to the culture of Africa. These were African-Americans that were wearing dashikis and African clothes and letting their hair grow out in a bush. I'm bringing out my African culture. The hell with you and your craziness. This is who I am. There were African-American hand drummers and dancers. People were like, I know this is my culture. Whatever we can do, let's make this thing happen so we can get back to feeling what it's like. Probably like around 1972, 71, round in there. I started collecting instruments other than the drums. And uh, I would go to New York and buy like a beer and bow that comes from Brazil. And then I would go buy a record to hear how it's played. And so I could f- try to figure it out because <laughs> there was no YouTube back then, you know. There wasn't even computers. So everything that you had to learn came from a record. Picking that needle up and going back to the beginning and listening picking it up and going back again and listening. So that's how I learned how to play some of my instruments. Baba Doc's music is inspired by African drum culture, as well as by other influences. And he shared with me that he sees what he does as healing and transformative. I do sound therapy for individuals, and my approach is not so much rhythm. 
although I do incorporate some rhythm sometime, my approach is more, where do these sounds take you? If I play the ocean drum, it's going to sound like the ocean. And if you're relaxed and your eyes are closed, you're going to be on the beach. And then from there, I go to something else. Now you might be in outer space, or you might be in the jungle. You might hear some animals that I'm creating. So I'm taking you on a journey for an hour. I'm taking you on a journey. And the journey is really within your mind. I tell people we're going to restore and reboot mind, body, and spirit. So that after my sound therapy, you should feel a lot better. You should feel more relaxed and you should feel at peace. I think it's important that people realize that we all need healing and that healing can come in a lot of different forms. For a lot of people, it comes when you go see your favorite artists performing. For some people, it's going to a yoga class or meditation. And so for me, it's moving in another direction with my music. Healing can and often does involve being able to envision ourselves somewhere beyond where we've been or even beyond our current circumstances. For me as a young person, I really appreciated my ability to, to see further than what was in front of me and, and reimagine what was possible. And I think that's one trait in myself that's really helped me build the life that I wanted for myself because I was courageous enough to, to ask it of myself. And for any person listening, I really want to just encourage folks to do the hard work to imagine you 2.0 and then really try to walk that back and understand, okay, well, what are the habits, you know, that me 2.0 has, right? What does the friend group of me 2.0 look like? And, you know, like all the things and then be courageous enough to start living those now. I think something magical can happen if you do that well intertwined with your purpose. All things are possible at that point. I want to kind of offer that word of encouragement. Others had words of encouragement as well for how to move forward individually and as a collective and to encourage the amplification of Black joy, success, beauty, and culture. I don't have like one singular answer for this. I think like there's those different paths that we all have to take. If we're able to like have those conversations and set up systems together, systems have oppressed in the past, but maybe if we like create a system that like supports growth and supports inclusivity and supports these things and like, you know, work together as a team, maybe this is something that's achievable. It's all of our collective ideas that will change the world. It's not one person. It's unity, it's education, and then you'll get there. It's not as hard as people think. It's not. You make it hard for yourself. If you, if you don't like me, you don't like yourself. So let's move towards unity, inclusion, and recognition that while the past has left an enduring imprint on the present, we can conceive of something better and then collaborate towards it.
Thank you for listening to the Demystifying Diversity podcast. If you haven't already, please take a moment to like, subscribe, rate, and review. And if you'd like to ask us a question, which we'll try to answer in an upcoming Q&A episode, please call 844-888-8148 and leave your question or comment. Or you can visit our website, demystifyingdiversitypodcast.com, where you can get in touch, subscribe to our newsletter, and find out more about our DEI trainings, workshops, coaching, consulting, and other DEI services. A sincere thank you to those who so graciously lent their voices to this episode. Kwaisi Asar, Baba Doc, Brittany Monet, William Tyrone Toms, Brittany Chung Campbell, Jet Stubbs, Channing Gerard Joseph, Don Trahan, Ghetto Don Visionary, Hooks, and Daniil Chambers. And thank you to our episode sponsors, Vita Supreme and Temple University's School of Sport, Tourism, and Hospitality Management. Every episode of the Demystifying Diversity podcast is written, reported, and produced by me, Dara Lease Lyons, with the invaluable assistance of Zach James, co-collaborator and marketing manager, Paul Kondo, assistant producer and editor, Jimmy Goodman at Leopard Studio, who provided additional audio recording, Stuart Crane's production and development assistant, and Sonny Taylor, content editor and creative collaborator. The music you heard is Better by Brittany Monet. If you'd like to explore these topics outside of the podcast, pick up a copy of Demystifying Diversity, Embracing Our Shared Humanity. Join us next week, and in the meantime, let's keep trying to make this a better, more inclusive world.